Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It would appear as though today is Portland Trailblazer Wednesday on this, our 33rd off-season episode, fantasy off-season episode of Fantasy NBA Today. Good Wednesday to you all. I am Dan Vespers. Welcome to the program. And we rumble along here. NBA playoffs, both series still alive. Warriors had a chance to close out Dallas last night. They fell way behind before cutting it to, I believe, eight. They got as close as eight in the fourth quarter. And uh, then Dallas was able to kind of hold them off. Mavs hit 23-pointers. We kind of always knew this was going to be a thing. Game did squeak over the posted total in what I can only describe as a bit of a marvel. Only 16 turnovers. Warriors had about 105 or so possessions of this ballgame. We do our little fuzzy math game. Mavericks had 101. So look, I know that as the game goes back to Golden State, that probably means the pace picks up a little bit, and we'll talk about that more on tomorrow's podcast. But from a speed standpoint, that was a much slower ballgame. Half-court success beginning to kind of beget Less transition opportunity, but we'll get there. Tonight, Boston is in Miami. We'll talk about the Blazers as soon as we work our way through this. 2-2. No, we're not doing a podcast on ballet. The series is tied 2-2, and it's been it's been ugly. Last game had a final score of 102-82. to Neither team could hit a shot to save their lives, but Boston hit more of them and had 88 free throws to Miami's 14. That was certainly one of the big differences there. Marcus Smart didn't play in that ballgame, and I'm trying to see if we got... They're both, I think they're game-time decisions, he and the Time Lord, for tonight, so we don't have any finality on that one. Currently, without information on Smart and Robert Williams, tonight's ballgame, the Heat are a two-and-a-half-point underdog, that line's been swinging hard towards the Celtics, maybe with the expectation that those guys are playing. And the total's actually been on the rise. 203 opened, it's up to 204, and it's really starting to work its way close to 204 and a half. Interestingly, what we finally got in that game four was the first under of the series. First game finished at 225. That went over the total by 22 points. Second game finished at 229, over the total by 22 and a half points. Third game finished at 212, finally getting back down where it kind of belonged a little bit. Miami had 107 possessions in that ball game. Boston had 108, so it should have been right around 215, starting to work its way back into that neighborhood. Still went over the total of 207. And then the last one came whizzing way underneath. And I, I don't know that I can advocate this in general, but it was one of those situations where we, we nailed the first game going over, and we thought the second game might bounce back to the under. It didn't. It kept going over. So that one was a miss. Game three, the expectation was, all right, maybe we created our under bubble by now. And as it turned out, that one still squeaked over the total. 
And so then you had a huge under bubble with the line moving up. I think game one of this series was 203 and game three of the series was 207. Everybody knew that at some point this series was going to have a clunker, a defensive slugfest, and that was the last one. The line is now adjusted back down to 204, which is where the series opened and kind of where I think oddsmakers wanted this thing to be from the starting point. But it got fast, and now it's slowing down. As you get later into playoff series, it always happens. Series slow down. The only thing that would keep this series from slowing down further is that what we've seen so far is that in Miami, the Heat are a little more inclined to push the pace. The two games in Miami were much more higher scoring. Much more, I think I grammar biffed on that one. But much higher scoring than the games in Boston. Boston, what we say? 220-something, 220-something. Miami is 220s, high 220s. Boston was 212 and then 184. And the venue does matter. It does. The home team tends to have a stronger pull on what the pace of the ballgame is. So there is a possibility this one goes back up and over the total. I still like the under. I think you're seeing a series slowing down. I think you're starting to see the adjustments kicking in. The problem is, with the shooting as terrible as it was in that last ballgame, it did kind of cloud the fact that 184 is not an attainable goal. For those of us, like myself, who enjoy spot betting... I probably leave this ballgame alone. I hope that for the spot betting, it goes over by a bunch, and then we can hammer the under when it goes back to Boston for game six. Whoever's leading. I hope. That would be the plan. As a spot better, I like to see things kind of teed up. Most of what I'm looking at, I need a few things to happen in advance to create a line buffer that we can work with. And then as far as the side goes, I really have no idea, because this series has just been bouncing back and forth with blowout wins, so, you know, to that end, it should be Miami, but I don't know that it's necessarily just going to trade off. Maybe we see Miami win two in a row. We might see Boston just finish them off. I don't know. I don't know. In any event, Portland Trailblazers. And I will tell you about them after I remind you to, again, please go follow Ethos Fantasy BB for baseball and Ethos Fantasy FB for football. You guys are not doing it on the football side. I think some of you did it for baseball. You're not doing it for football. So stop letting me down. Ethos Fantasy FB, it's going to have a blurb feed in like the next month. So you might as well just follow it now. It's not going to clutter up your thing. There's a couple of pod posts every once in a while. That's it for now. And then you also get to find JP, the host of that football show, and Joe, the host of our baseball show, who I swear every time I look up, he has 15 more Twitter follows. Pretty cool what those guys are doing right now. Strongly suggest you all get involved immediately as Sports Ethos continues to grow. But what of Portland? What of Portland? They went full dismantle this last offseason, but unfortunately, they actually don't have that much in the way of salary cap clearage because of it. Anthony Simons is a restricted free agent this offseason, if I'm not mistaken. He's some level of free agent. Nurk comes off the book, but he was only making $12 million anyway on a really team-friendly deal. Joe Ingles, who they traded for midseason, is off the book, so that stuff does clear up. But in all of their other wheeling and dealing, the C.J. McCollum stuff, a bunch of things did come back 
to Portland. Eric Bledsoe came back. That was part of the Clippers stuff. He still has 19 mil left on his deal for next year. And he's not good anymore. Even if he was before, he's certainly not anymore. Josh Hart has at least one year left, 13 million. He has a player option for another 13 mil the following year. But look, at the end of the day, you're a bit hamstrung by the fact that your superstar is making almost $50 million a year. And that's great. I love Dame. But it does limit to some degree what you can do with the rest of your roster. Depending at least on who, what they do this this coming offseason. I know that we all have, and I, I love Dame. Everybody loves Dame. And he'd been a pillar of fantasy durability up until this last year with the abdominal thing. But I just, I look at this Portland roster and unless they can convince someone, at least a medium-level player, certainly they'd be targeting a star-level guy, to come and join this core, that's not going to be that good of a ball club. We've heard that they're going to be in the market for someone like a DeAndre Ayton, and maybe that does happen. Maybe they do bring in somebody, they can cash in, throw some cash at somebody, and become competitive again. And we desperately need them to do that. Because right now, on the head-to-head side at least, this team absolutely reeks of not being in the playoff picture at the end of the regular season. If everybody on the current roster, and let's assume that Anthony Simons does come back, if all of these guys are the Blazers, plus some sort of mid-level veterans, whoever you fill out the rest of the slots... This is not a play-in level team, let alone a playoff level team. It's Dame, Bledsoe, Josh Hart, Simons, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, Nas Little, Trendon Watford. Yeah, I know. Cody Zeller was there briefly. He's off the books. Dennis Smith Jr.'s off the books. I mean, yeah, maybe they bring Nurk back if they don't get another big man that they might be targeting, perhaps, and maybe that gets them back in the, to sort of sniff the play-in level stuff. But we badly need something to be substantially different than what the roster looks like right now. Breaking down the way that this season went for Portland is uh, an extraordinarily loaded task because Dame was just inside the top 50 before he went down because he couldn't shoot this year. He's at 40%. He was dealing with the abdominal stuff. Anytime he had to try to elevate, he couldn't do it. Free throws were down. Some of that was the rule change that he sort of didn't last long enough into this year to see the rules level off as they always do, and then the regulars go back to the free throw line again. Uh, But at least his free throw percent was still pretty good. But like 88, sometimes you're probably hoping for 90, and you're hoping for more of them. Dame will be better next year, and I don't think that this weird season is going to muck up his fantasy uh, outlook all that much, at least in terms of where I think he probably ends up getting drafted. Maybe he doesn't go middle of the first round. Maybe he glides towards the back end of it. Like, instead of the 5 through 8 range, maybe he's more in, like, the 8 through 11 range or something like that. But he's still probably a first-rounder in terms of not value, but where I think he ends up getting plucked. 
Because for games cap, Roto Leagues, he's going to push as hard as he can, even on a bad team. He'll go and go and go, and he'll get some days off here and there. But it's not going to be like this year where he plays 30 games two seasons in a row, even if they're in tank mode. Because it'll take a full, like, significant injury like this season to shut him down like this. If you're in tank mode, you're probably looking at 60-some-odd games for Dame, which, like, that's fine. That would still get the job done on the Roto Games cap side. In head-to-head, that's a disaster. If Portland doesn't bring in someone to bring this team to within striking distance of a play-in spot, I don't know how you touch Dame on a head-to-head side. And frankly, I don't know how you touch anyone on this team on the head-to-head side who's over the age of about 25 if they don't bring in someone to make them competitive. So that would likely then include Josh Hart, who, God love him, is probably going to have a pretty good fantasy per-game output at the beginning of next season, provided he is still in Portland, which I think he will be. And Anfrey Simons is going to get to do a bunch, but we saw him. He got shut down this year as well. He's not even a veteran, and he got shut down. But he'll be he'll slot into that CJ role alongside Dame. I don't know what the hell's going to happen to Eric Bledsoe. He's just he's cooked, so there's sort of no reason to go that route. Does Drew Eubanks end up as the the starting center on a tanking Blazers team? I don't know. Maybe. Right now. If this is truly the roster the Blazers are going to field on opening night next year without Nurk, without Joe Ingles, who I don't know what the plan is there. It seemed like that was more of a salary dump, but let's just say that those guys are not part of the Blazers next season. Uh, I mean, on the head-to-head side, I, I almost don't know how you draft anyone. You could take a chance that Simons doesn't get shut down towards the end of the year. You could take a chance on a Drew Eubanks and hope that no one else sort of supplants him. And and we'll know more on that front as we get closer to next year once free agency passes. But I don't know that there's a team where, you know, we talked about Indiana on yesterday's show and how waiting on trades of Malcolm Brogdon or possibly Miles Turner is going to make a, a pretty good difference on who you draft and when on the Pacers. I think the Blazers waiting on free agency might even be a bigger deal than the Indiana trade discussion we had on yesterday's pod. Because at least with the Indiana trade stuff, I'm still going to draft Tyrese Halliburton either way. Like, I would still love to have him on my fantasy team. If Brogdon is still there, call it a coin flip, whatever, I don't know. Like, whatever odds you are, you th- whatever you think might happen out that way, Halliburton... Someone, if Brogdon's traded, someone comes back. If he's not, he probably plays a little bit, even if he doesn't go full, whatever. Like, still love it. Still love Halliburton, but it'll be two varying degrees. I'll find a point at which I'm willing to take a shot on him. If Miles Turner is there, there's a shot. There's a point at which I would take a chance on him if he gets traded. There's, again, a different point at which I would take a chance on him. Portland, on the other hand, if they don't bring in... It's a weird thing to think about, too. It's, it's sort of like... It's counterintuitive. For a lot of teams, if you bring in a free agent, a good player, someone who's going to actually impact the offense, he's going to take stuff away from people, whatever, most teams, if that happens, you're like, oh, you got to downgrade some of these other guys by a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. In Portland, it's quite the opposite. 
if they don't bring in, it doesn't need to be a marquee player, but that would certainly help. But if they don't bring in a key acquisition in free agency, which I think feels at least more readily available than a trade, Blazers do have some young assets, so I guess that's maybe on the table here. Maybe they, maybe that's the route they go. If the Blazers don't bring in someone to run alongside Dame, they become an extraordinarily risky team where on draft day, and again, we'll know more by mid-July, really, so it's not that far off, month and a half less until free agency kicks in in the NBA this year. So maybe, you know, I guess it begs the question, why are we even doing a show on Portland? Well, I think we do a show on a team like the Blazers because it was important to see who succeeded for them down the stretch and be ready for some of those names should the Blazers appear to be back in tank mode. Drew Eubanks was arguably the best end-of-season tank grab in the NBA. Drew Eubanks was the king of the tank. Last two and a half weeks, three weeks of the NBA season, he averaged 18 and 9. 18 and 9. He was top 30. He was right, actually right on the cusp. He was a third rounder the last almost month of the NBA season in the tank. Trendon Watford was pretty good over that stretch. He was top 60. Josh Hart played some games in there, but I don't think that we can really count it. Even Ben McElmore got inside the top 100 over that stretch when everybody was resting, slash hurt, slash out for the Blazers. So we do need to keep one eye on this stuff as the Blazers navigate free agency. Because right now, planting your flag in anyone on this team is a fool's errand. Oh, I'm definitely going to draft so-and-so. You really can't with Portland. Because if they bring in someone to run alongside Dame, I would love Dame as a first-rounder. If they don't, I don't know that I can take him in the first round because of fear of missing 16 to 25 games. Roto or head-to-head, it becomes extremely, extremely dangerous. Now, believe me, I would love nothing more than to find a way to end up with Damian Lillard on my fantasy team, almost for old time's sake. But not if it doesn't look like they're going to be hunting the playoffs and him coming off a what ended up being a season-ending surgery in an area of the body that is kind of scary. I don't know what the, what the list of like what the scariest parts of you that can be hurt on a basketball court, probably your knee, not good, and then probably the core after that. How do you, I mean, it impacts every single thing you do, and there's just sort of no way to, like, tape it up like a swollen ankle. You just jam it into a shoe and lace it up. Oh, boy. They'll have to bring in some center. Wouldn't you think? I cannot imagine a universe where the Blazers go into next year with Drew Eubanks set to play 30 minutes a game. It can't possibly happen. Can it? I don't actually know who's on the market. Again, other than the fact that they've kind of been pre-linked to DeAndre Ayton. Who's out there besides bringing back their own guy? And then if that's the case, how can we possibly trust Yusuf Nurkic to make it through a year? How? I mean, at least if Dame has Nurk and Simons and Hart, 
and Winslow. Not that these guys are all going to blow the roof off the building in fantasy, but at least if those guys were around, you could make uh, a reasonable, maybe not a great one, but a reasonable argument that with Dame's leadership, they'll be in the hunt for a play-in spot. They'll be like a nine seed. And that's cool. That's enough. Because Dame believes he could win a couple of those play-in games, and he probably should believe that because he could just go bananas for two days. Great. Keep them competing until the end of the year. Terrific. That's, a, that's almost the best-case scenario for fantasy. Those guys have to play. You pray Nurk makes it through 60 games, which hasn't really been happening. I mean, the thing about this Blazers team, and you know, some of these guys obviously joined the club partway through, but Drew Eubanks was the most durable Portland trailblazer all year. And he was only playing with them for a month. The game's played totals for Portland this year were nauseating. A visceral nausea reaction. Dame, 29 games. Josh Hart finished the year after the trade there. 54. Nurk, 56. Simons, 57. Nas Little, 42. Trendon Watford, 48. Ingles traded there, 45. He was already hurt. So you can kind of scratch that one off. C.J. Ellaby, 58. Greg Brown, 48. Ben McLemore, a pillar of health at 64 games played. This is the fear of a team going into rebuild. That type of stuff. You know damn well some of those dudes could have played 5 to 10 to 20 more games than they did. You know it. You know it. Nurks plantar fasciitis, if they were in the hunt, he'd have played through some of that. I can almost promise it. But once Dame couldn't carry the team, it was surgery for Dame, shut the rest of them down, trade away what you can. And as they stand right now, if they bring back Nurk, you could call them a play-in level team. They probably miss it, honestly, with that roster plus Nurk. But at least they'll be fighting for it until the last couple weeks of the year. And then you could at least make it a, a case for drafting some of those guys on the head-to-head side. Because you hope that Dame stays sort of healthy on the head-to-head side. Anthony Simons, you, you probably get health on the head-to-head side. Those guys would be worthwhile. Nurk? Ugh. Hasn't really been working for him. He was number 95 this year in starters minutes. Free throw percent, which was particularly bad, but the other stuff wasn't all that far off the norm. Would love to see some more blocks. That was down. If that comes back and the free throw comes back. I mean, we know Nurk in starters minutes. He does have top 50 potential, but the health thing. Oh, the health thing. I wonder a lot where these guys are going to go. And I think there's going to be a lot of movement with Blazers leading up to draft night. Because I think you're going to see not a ton of consensus. Let's say Nurk comes back. Which feels to me like probably what ends up happening unless they take a big swing and get someone else at center and then obviously we reassess. But let's say Nurk comes back. Where do you think these guys go? I think Dame goes late first round if Nurk is back there. And I'm okay with that. I think Nurk probably goes 75 range. That might be a little bit too early. 
Simons, no clue. None. I have no idea where he goes next year. He was great when he had all the usage on the planet. Will he be as second or third fiddle? Third fiddle instead of first? Josh Hart? He can end up being a really interesting games cap kind of grab for next year. Put him on your board for games cap guy. He's going to be banged up. He's going to miss a bunch of games, but I bet you can get him in the ninth, 10th round. Great. Awesome. Because if that's the team they're running back, he's their starting small forward. Dame, Simons, Hart, Nurk, somebody. Who's power forward on that team? I don't know. Watford? Winslow? Not touching any of those guys. So, Portland, we wait. Free agency. We await your decisions. Or someone else's on who might join you. That's Wednesday. Back at you tomorrow. One more playoff game tomorrow. On to the next one on the NBA standings board, which I think... Who's the next worst team? Is that the Kings? Oh, the Sacramento Kings. (sighs) I can hardly wait. I'm sure you can't. Also, I'm Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today. We'll talk to you guys mañana. So long.